People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Fine Music Radio it is, and Rodney Trojan welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Well, I'm sure you recall that very recently we had broadcasts of all five Beethoven piano concertos which were played as part of the 10th International Summer Music Festival with the Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Vic Tiampolsky and the soloist in all five was Francois Dutoy celebrating his 50th birthday and treating us to those magnificent works. Francois Dutoy is my guest on People of Note this week. Welcome, Francois. And I think, first of all, we have to wish you happy birthday because your birthday was after the concerts, wasn't it? Um, Rodney, yes. I, uh, my birthday was actually on the 7th of March. And um, I must say that uh, the... Uh, Celebration and the and, and, and the wishes that came already at the end of the concerts that was wonderful, but I felt like I'd aged prematurely <laughs> a little bit, perhaps uh, as uh, in conjunction with having done the concerts. But the, the birthday itself was the seventh of March. Yeah, and you had that lovely moment where they all sang Happy Birthday at the end of the last concert after the fifth concerto. Not only the orchestra playing, but the audience sang their hearts out. Uh, I must say that was incredibly overwhelming for me, and I felt quite emotional about that. Um, I'm actually quite shy as a person, and people laugh about that, but I really am, and I felt that this was so special, but I was kind of overwhelmed by it. Mm. I didn't quite know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> you looked overwhelmed. You sort of flopped over the piano. <laughs> I didn't really know how to deal with this. One of the first questions I want to ask you is, what made you decide to tackle what for many people is the monument of, of a cycle of piano concertos? Stylistically, they are so different, and yet there's there's a stability in them, these five magnificent pillars of the repertoire of Beethoven. Um, Rodney, I think that Beethoven has always been a central point in my pianistic life. Um, it's the Beethoven first piano concert, in fact, the first movement was the first concerto that I ever played with an orchestra, and that was with the old KPAB orchestra in the, for the youth festival way back in the early 80s. And I think David Titbold was still conducting the orchestra at that stage. And in the course of my life, I had learned one, three, and five, and played them, especially three and five, uh, quite a few times, actually, considerably more than one. And at some stage, I just felt that my love for them, every time I'd relearned them, it's so strange, you know, when you study a piece of music, sometimes you can go back to a piece of music if you've played it a couple of times, and you can be a little bit sort of world-weary about looking at the piece with fresh eyes. But with the Beethovens, it was never the case. Every time I came back to them, I really loved them. And I thought to myself, I really need to learn number two and four before I, um, you know, sort of pop my clogs. And I thought, well, okay, this would be a chance maybe to do that. I wonder whether anybody would be interested. And that was how the whole five came along, yeah. So had you not, in fact, played two and four before? Never before. Those were the Goodness first time I played gracious. two and four in my life, yeah. That's actually quite, I don't know yeah. whether to say it's an admission or not, <laughs> because, I mean, as you say, when you come to the pieces that you know so well, that was going to be one of my questions. How do you look at it with fresh eyes? Well, I do go back to st studying the piece as if I hadn't seen the piece for a while, so that you really look at the piece from a point of view of if you're learning the notes again. In, mm -hmm. in pure labor-like terms, it involves really slow practice. Um, what I call picking out sections, working individually at, at areas, 
um, never just playing through the piece. It's really something that you have to sit there and work as if you've never seen the piece before. Mm-hmm. So that was for me the the whole idea of that. And then, of course, with two and four being brand new, I knew them. I've, I've taught them, but I've never played them. Um, I felt that I really had to put that extra bit into to get them first of all under the fingers and then really into the head. And how difficult a task was that with two and four? Two and four, I think the task that lay ahead of me was, I thought to myself at this stage, I was, usually I'm a little bit of a procrastinator, but this time I wasn't. I, I, I realized that I had to play one, two and four on the Wednesday. So two and four, were the, the two new ones were both going to be on the same night. I'd better be prepared. And so I actually, I just sat and and, and uh, grafted at the piano. I'd, I spent six, seven hours a day at the piano for at least a month and a half, two months before the concerts. And before that, for two or three months, at least a couple of hours already. You know, Gosh. just in the work. And they are so stylistically different, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, two, especially from number four, because number four on its own is very different from the other five. And yeah. number two... As we know, he wrote it first, first so that's he's right, got yeah. that more classical feel. Well, I think that that was part of the journey for me in these Beethovens, that, that I felt, for me, it was really, a, it, it, in, in a selfish sort of way, it was really for me such a pleasure to work at them. I never once thought, oh boy, I wish I was on you know, the beach or something like that, <laughs> or <laughs> I don't know, uh, you know, Clifton Forth or something. I, d- I really did feel that it was a journey for me to sit there and work at these pieces, and I enjoyed that because I had to create my own sense of identity for each of the concertos and I was acutely aware of the second being almost Mozartian in approach even though it is Beethoven we can't one can't get away from it and then this glorious fourth piano concerto which is truly such a phenomenal work mm-hmm. um, that must have been a joy to get to it know was an absolute joy and to, and, and, and to perform it and to work at that it, it, it was continually for me I would get up in the morning and sometimes you know we get up and we go to the piano and we're like, oh, ho-hum, you know, <laughs> another day at the office. But this was never the case with the fourth or even the second, really. I mean, mm. I did, I, I, I find some things in the second absolutely excruciatingly beautiful, you know, really wonderful moments. Like the slow movement. Slow movement, for example. Um, but in a, in a way, that was, for me, the pinnacle of this whole thing was being able to learn two new pieces and to combine it with three old favorites and, mm-hmm. and, and old friends, really. Those and yet, as five. you say, to bring a freshness of to approach freshness. to those three famous ones. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's lots more I want to ask you about your process of getting these under your fingers, Francois, but let's have your first piece of music now. Yes, you know, I'm a child sort of of pre-technology and I remember the excitement when the CD first CD player started to come out, because in those days we all had records and LPs, and you know they invariably got scratched and sound wasn't so fantastic. And this whole idea of lift, listening to a piece uh, of music on 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 a on a form of uh, I can say technology that took away all the hiss and the and the scratches <laughs> and all of that was very <laughs> exciting. And I remember going out, and the first CD that I bought was. For the Fialetzer leader by Richard Strauss with Jesse Norman singing. 
and completely bowled over mm. by the sound. <laughs> also because just the recording itself, the the sound of the orchestra and the acoustic that it was recorded in felt like that you were sitting in the middle of the hall just, you know, absorbing this wonderful uh, music. And, of course, the third one by Schlafengen is truly my favorite. I think it's many people's favorite. I mean, all four are fantastic. But I wanted to choose that as my first CD that I ever bought.
What does one say, Francois, after such beautiful music and such a performance? Jesse Norman with the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra, conducted by Kurt Mazur, and the third of the four last songs by Richard Strauss, Beim Schlafengehen. What a different Strauss from the Salome we heard a few weeks ago. Absolutely. Yeah. It was the first choice of my guest on People of Note on Fine Music Radio this week, the pianist Francois Dutoy, who's enjoying all the acclaim of the five Beethoven piano concertos that he's just performed with the Cape Town Philharmonic. And there was a lot of acclaim. Did you read do you read crits, Francois? Um, Rodney, really not really, actually. I mean I don't actually go out consciously and buy papers, you know, I sort of well I do the the news just what I can see on the internet or so but people were very kind and saved clippings for me of the crits and there was a lovely photo that I saw that appeared in the Cape Town which was really quite wonderful because I love the look of the City Hall you mm. know it's such a fantastic hall and with the orchestra on stage and that was very special to see that yeah now, Francois, you were talking about preparing these five magnificent works, and one yes. of the things I wondered, you work, you're a teacher, you're a lecturer, yeah. um, you're immersed in academia as well, yeah. but I know that first and foremost you're a performer, aren't you, I think? Well, I try to keep the performing side going, yeah. yeah. But when you are studying these pieces, do you have any sort of mentor? Do you have anyone listening to you, or, uh, or do, you work, is it, do you work entirely on your own interpretation and style and... View. You know, Rodney, what I, I what I often do is that I, and this is something I always speak to my students about, is that I first work really to get the, the, the I do what I call the the groundwork. You have to do the fundamental work. You have to yeah. get the notes learned. You have to approach the piece that you feel that just from a technical point of view, you know exactly what you're going to do with the piece. When it comes to the interpretation point of view, yes, I listen to a few different recordings in the beginning, but then I don't listen to anything afterwards because I don't want to copy somebody yes, and I don't want to do to be reproductions. Influenced. No, or influence mm. unnecessarily. I need to know stylistically. You know, sometimes one can look at a troll and say, oh, does it start on the upper note or on the note or something? And I'll ask my colleagues what they think. But, you know, over the years, one realizes there's no direct line to any of these composers. So it's always up. It's just what feels the most comfortable and what sounds the best. But then what I did do with the Beethovens was that I did get a few close friends. Um, James May, Professor James May especially, was incredibly kind. He traveled out to my house and I would play to him a concerto or two, you know, just go through the solo parts. Um, also other friends of mine that I would get together um, I probably did it about three or four times that I played to people and then I went through for two and four I went through to the college one day and Albie von Skolfeck kindly played to me on the second piano because that's the one thing that one forgets about when practicing is just you know you know I'm aware of what the orchestra is doing but sometimes I'm not quite certain when am I supposed to come in or when <laughs> am I not so those are things that you have to brush up on towards you know the end just to know exactly what's happening and he kindly went through it with me as well and playing the orchestra part on the piano doing the orchestra part on the second piano and that helped tremendously so um, and then I asked him I said you know please Albie if I'm doing anything you know sacrilegious please tell me and you know I spoke about him and had a few questions to ask and it's all part of the wonderful th thing of new, you know, I don't think that I go in there with the, the idea that I know all the answers. Sometimes and you're doing something and it doesn't work. And exactly. you, you need to, to find out, uh, you have another pair of ears. Yeah. And yeah, and someone would say something and it would open a whole new world possibly Absolutely. to you. Yeah. Because with those scores, there's not too much controversy about them and additions, no. is there? No, not so much, no. I must say they're pretty, uh, even with, it, it doesn't even have to be the Henle text, which is a, sort of the Bible of music scores. It can even be the Schirmer editions or whatever. They often do have footnotes of what 
things can be in. I think what is more controversial about the Beethoven sometimes is the fact that um, some of the passages that he wrote, um, the uh, pr- not the printers, what do you call it, the, the people that have uh, done, given the, out the editions have added in or, or said that this is what it could have sounded like purely on the basis of the keyboard having run out of space in Beethoven's mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So, and those were things that I questioned. In, in the fourth concerto, there are passages which um, he wrote differently because he just didn't have enough notes. And we have the now much more extended keyboard. But then I went and I just listened to recordings for those things. And I heard, I thought to myself, you know, if Pariah does it, if Kalels does it, you know, um, who am I now to quibble about <laughs> and say, oh, gosh, no, I've got to be a purist. I've got yeah. to do exactly what he wrote. Because I understand and I think had Beethoven been around, he would have written it like that. Yes. But then I, I almost think that destroys the point because he didn't have a bigger piano. Yes. So what he wrote when he was writing the third or the fourth was whether he wanted a bigger piano is beside the point. He wrote a magnificent piece for a piano that size. Absolutely, absolutely. So why would an editor then go and fiddle around with it? Well, sometimes <laughs> the editor looks and he sees, oh, this is the pattern, and he wants to, in the, reprodu- you know, in the recapitulation, perhaps repeat. We, we always repeat that sort of pattern, but it's obviously sometimes a fifth up or, mm. or whatever. Um, and then you have to think... What would he have written sometimes like that? There are places where he's done. So one looks at that. Other editors' markings, phrasings and stuff, I always ignore. Yeah. Fingering as well. I don't know what they had. I think they had sort of mutated fingers sometimes <laughs> because I've never understood some of the fingerings in the pizzas. You know, I'm, I'm a great one for sitting with a pencil there and writing my own fingering in because I think it really helps with the learning process. Um, and, um, yeah, that helps. And what about, uh, is there any controversy? I'm sure I read or heard or seen or whatever, something about peddling. You've got yeah, to be well, careful the, with Beethoven's peddling. There's the peddling thing. There's those pedals, marks that he pedals for four bars right through. And, you know, there's, of course, there's the, the, the two opposing views. People say, no, that the piano was... Um, a lot thinner in those days and therefore if you put the pedal down for four bars it didn't mush as much as a, a grand piano. One of the great things about studying in Germany was that I got a chance to go to Bonn at one stage we were on an expedition then I actually played on Beethoven's piano and when you put the pedal down for four I tried the third piano concerto, the middle movement I tried that and I put the f- full pedal down for four bars and it does mush <laughs> so I'm like, well, if it mushes here, then obviously it wants a mushy sound. If it gets too much, of course, you have to take into consideration the acoustic you're playing in. It's different from your lounge to the city hall. One can advocate sort of half pedals or very what I call flutter pedal just to try. But that sound that he wanted, that slightly, uh, you know, not from this earth kind of um, sound of, of of floating music that sort of floats into one another is obviously what he wanted to get. So I'm not going to sit there and pedal it correctly as if I'm at high school, yes. you know, you know, sort of every bar cleaned in every sound that needed to be slightly intermeshed and linked. As like you that. say, mushed. Yes, slightly <laughs> mushed. <laughs> okay, but now look here, your next piece of music is a bit of a surprise. Oh, yes. Um, you know, I, I, my... People always say to me, what's your favorite piece of music and which composer? I don't actually have any specific person. I love all music. And I was extremely lucky that as a student, I was also involved in sort of playing background music at, in those days, I think it used to be the Cape Sun and the Palm Court. I played there with the violinist Nikolai Petrovich. 
fantastic violinist, but incredibly temperamental. <laughs> and um, he would sort of play amongst the tables and disappear. And I, sometimes I couldn't even hear him. But boy, oh boy, did it teach me how to follow. <laughs> <laughs> and then in between, I would have to play my own stuff. And I really developed a love for all kind of uh, music from the musicals, from Cole Porter right through to present day. And I chose this particular song because this singer, Barbara Streisand, is who I really consider one of the greatest singers of the popular music genre that's ever lived. Her attention to phrasing detail, her sense of style, her sense of, of uh, you know, the dramatic in the music, but also the sense of, of, of uh, just the feeling that she mm. can create and the emotive uh, communication that you can do I, I think it's wonderful agree with you. absolutely agree with you and one of the most I know it's a very popular song but Sending the Clowns I just think she does so stupendously well so I chose Barbara Streisand's uh, a live recording of her doing Sending the Clowns Clowns. There ought to be clowns 
Quicksand in the clouds What a surprise Who could foresee I'd come to feel about you What you felt about me Why only now when I see That you've drifted away What a surprise What a cliché Deserved applause, hey, Francois, for Absolutely. Barbara Streisand, that lovely song, Send in the Clown, Stephen Sondheim's music. Yes. The choice of my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio, brought to you by Peter Green Productions, Francois Dutoy. We're still talking about that fantastic... Look, it was a remarkable two evenings, Francois, for us in the audience, and I gather for our listeners, because as you know, we broadcast the season live on Fine Music Radio, and we had remarkable response. It was a remarkable experience, so thank you. Thank you very and much. And you've explained quite a lot about how you worked on these pieces at home, yeah. the five Beethoven piano concertos, but then you come to the week of the rehearsal, yeah. then you're in the city hall with the orchestra and the conductor, yeah. and presumably a lot of discussion has to go on between you and Victor about Tempe, Tempe Rabatu, all that sort of stuff. Well, Rodney, you know, it was strange because when the idea of this five Beethoven first came and, and Louis spoke to me, I thought, oh, it was going to be over perhaps three weeks, you know, sort of two this week, two the next week and one the last week. When he said two nights, of course, <laughs> I, uh, you know, had to rush for the for the Valium. Um, <laughs> but at the end, y you you do get into a zone of how you're going to do that. Mm. And I realized that what was going to be critical was going to be that first day that we had. I only had the Tuesday to rehearse all five of them with Victor. Um, and then the Wednesday, we did a dress rehearsal for the three that night, and the Thursday, a dress rehearsal for the two that night. So the, oh the, the Tuesday, we did all five. We started at 10 and ended at quarter past four or something like that. Um, I was extremely lucky to have somebody like Victor, who has so much wealth of knowledge of conducting these pieces. And... What was so sweet about him was he told me of a performance that um, he'd gone on tour with Beethoven for, I think it was John Ogden, 
he said, and he d- they didn't they'd done something like five or six performances. And he said every night John Ogden changed something, cut a bar or added a bar or something. <laughs> he said, "Don't worry, I will catch you no matter what." <laughs> and when a conductor says that to you, automatically you just feel more at ease. So the psychological implication of him f- really being there as a support and and understanding what you're going through helps tremendously. So that when it comes down to the things like the tempi, we didn't talk that much. In the beginning, we would f- play through uh, a movement, and then he would go back and he'd say, all right, now what do you think tempi-wise? And I'd say, perhaps we need it a little faster um, or, you know, a little slow, whatever, and I need a bit more support here, or what do you suggest? What is going to be the easiest for that? With the Beethoven's, often what is tricky is those runs. You know, when you the piano's going, doing a sort of a big flat chromatic run, you know, I'm too busy gawking at what I'm doing with my <laughs> fingers to look up and see whether he's going to catch me or whether I should indicate. So, and he was so incredible with that. He Famously just knew. Like the first movement of the fifth. That's right, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He would just sort of look over and, you know, I could just see out of the corner of my eye, you know, your reflexes work over time. Mm. I could just see the hand going up and I thought, okay, we're going to be in time. We're going to be absolutely there. <laughs> but it is not always that you get somebody who is so um, experienced and, and supportive. And uh, that was fantastic to work yeah. with him like And that. also, Victor, here you're doing a bit of a ray for Victor as well, because yeah. the balance he achieved yes. between the piano and the orchestra yes. was so good. In that, absolutely. you know, Beethoven has all that beautiful woodwind writing in the concertos. Absolutely. Yeah. And how that came up, you were probably too busy playing to listen out. Well, I, you know what? Now, I do listen to the orchestra because... It's so far, you know, we, we think that it's a solo, you know, you're playing the solo piano, but you're not. You're doing, uh, it's just an enlarged form of chamber music when you're doing a concerto. And it's incredibly stupid to think that you are the, you know, soloist star kind of thing and the orchestra is just the band behind you. No, this is a team effort. And especially in Beethoven, especially in Beethoven. And you feel the support of the orchestra when they realize that you are also respecting what they are doing and I loved the interaction that I could get between the woodwind sections or between the violins or even the cello whatever I you know for me that is what it's all about it's making music because it's not me f- just performing you know. in the first three there's the long exposition isn't there orchestral yes. exposition yes. especially number one which and then suddenly number four starts with you on your own and number yes, five yeah. with that huge cadence like passage absolutely so how different they all are as well well I can tell you with those long expositions and I you know this is something that I often told to only to friends but quite often it's happened that by the time the, per- the orchestra is halfway through the exposition, your mind starts to play games. I'm like, what note do I start on? <laughs> no, you're <And> you're <laughs> serious. Absolutely. <laughs> and then suddenly so it just kicks in. When the moment comes, you know, thank goodness for muscle, you know, <laughs> reflex. <laughs> Francois, have you seen that lovely YouTube clip of Maria Joao Pires in Amsterdam? Yes, that's right. I think just with Ricardo Chai, they were playing a Mozart lunchtime concert. That's right. And he started a concerto and it was the wrong Mozart concerto. Yes, and she just jumped in and played it. She just it. jumped in and played it. They obviously pay her well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now look, how do you memorize these things? How do you memorize five Beethoven piano concertos? Someone said you played 85,000 notes, which I don't think is the point. Yes, the point yeah. is where the order in which they Yes, that I got them in the right <laughs> order. <laughs> and um, also the phrasing, the, the, the nuances. I do a lot of studying of the music. I'm, I'm lucky. I think I'm very blessed that I have my memory... Yes, we all have little memory lapses and stuff like that, and there were little things that one maybe went wrong in each of the pieces, but um, that's the joy of live performances. But generally, I have a sound memory to do that. 
I memorize not only by muscularly memor- memorization, I analyze. I have perfect pitch, so I can do the oral memorization as well. Um, I The visual as well, it's incredibly important that I know what I'm doing in the field. Um, and then I do spend quite a lot of time away from the piano, just with the music on my lap, so that I can hear it in my head and that I can see what's on the page. And the final stages of, of the memorization is usually when I put the music flat on the piano lid, not down, you know, standing up. And then I sort of start to play through and I say, oh, I know this. Ooh, I don't know that so much. Let me go and have a look. And then I can look at the music. And that's how you work it. Mm-hmm. And was there ever a time, you have to be honest now, yeah. in these five concertos over those two nights where for a moment you thought, oh, dear, which concerto am I playing? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'd be completely honest, not. No, no, no. no. I, I, I did have the wherewithal to think which. Sometimes I was wondering which note to play next, but not which concerto. I did sort of know what was happening there. Well, now you've chosen a fantastic pianist as your third piece of music, Francois. Yes. Tell yes. me about this. You know, my exposure to Christian Zimmermann was also at a relatively early age when I was still a student. And I was always completely amazed by this such nobility in the piano playing there's no histrionics there's no circus act there's it's all about the music it's all about what the piano sounds like this wonderful sound that he gets from the piano and i can say quite honestly that i have many many pianos that i love for many different works the agarics the works i love galel's sound i love uh, Maria Jao Perez but Zimmerman for me is one of these people that every time he plays something I really listen to it and I think to myself what a fine musician he is when he's, when he's doing that and of course my also my one of my favorite conductors all time recording conductors was Leonard Bernstein yeah yeah he just brought something so special Carrion was always great we always knew it would be efficient but Bernstein brought the mensch and an in edge one. there was an edge wasn't there absolutely yeah so this now is the scherzo really the second of four movements that's of right. the Brahms second piano concerto that's right recorded live in Vienna recorded live in Vienna which is even more amazing because you don't hear one split note <laughs> I think I might hate him for that <laughs> <laughs> let's see how much of the movement we can fit in super
that's fantastic music, let alone the sound that was made there and Absolutely. the performance. That was the second movement of the Piano Concerto Number no. 2 by Brahms with Christian Zimmermann and the Vienna Philharmonic conducted by the great Leonard Bernstein. The choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Francois de Toy. Francois, we've spent virtually the whole program talking about your Beethoven cycle, and I sort of don't feel like apologizing because it was such an event. And I think yeah. surely it was even a milestone in your life. Absolutely. To do those five It was It nights. was the biggest thing that I've ever done in that I can remember. Well, no, I know for a fact that it was the biggest sort of mountain that I've had to climb. Lovely and mountain, but still a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and there are lots of things we could talk about, and you're very well known to Cape Town audiences, and you're loved by Cape Town audiences, I've noticed since mm. I've been down here. Yeah. And... So I also gather that you're on sabbatical at the moment, yes. which possibly helped with the Beethoven as well. So what do you do now that the Beethoven is finished? What do you do when you're away from the piano and all those notes? Well, you know what? I do take time off a little bit, like about a week or so afterwards. I had to get away from the piano just really to recharge the batteries. But the sabbatical is there for research purposes. In my specific field, it's for creative output. So I have got concerts lined up that we're going to do or that I'm going to do. A few solo concerts. I'm also busy with my doctorate demos, which I hope to complete this year. My goodness. Um, I'm still got long teeth about having to do all the writing because as I I think I explained to you once before you know for every paragraph I write I think I could have learned another bar of music and it's a constant weighing up of what is more important for me and there's lots of writing isn't there oh, for a yes. PhD? yeah there is a lot and you know you've got to know how to dot the T's and cross the I's and that, all of that nonsense but for the rest of it actually or I also even, take that yes or even dot the I's and cross the T's yes <laughs> That sort of explains my footnotability. <laughs> um, but, you know, for the rest of it, I do, I'm pretty much a homebound person. I enjoy being at home. I have two wonderful German shepherd dogs that I love to take for walks. Um, I'm very lucky. I have a very supportive partner in my life for the last 19 years. And one of my great uh, passions is really going on going to the bush you know i love oh. it i absolutely do we get we hop in the car at 12 o'clock at night and we drive from here to nelspreit in one foul swoop 2000 kilometers and then we go and stop oh there and then goodness. we go to the kruger park and we spend five days or we'll go off to the kalahari and spend a week there um, and does that kind of not only obviously it gets you over the piano but does it clear your mind as well absolutely you know what that, that that wonderful blessed relief of not having cell phone reception mm. it is something mm. that is quite priceless actually nowadays and you can just escape from everything that's going on you know i mean i'm so inundated in this modern day with news coming at you from all angles and sometimes not that pleasant that sometimes it's really good just to go and enjoy living you know you know this is life it's not a rehearsal one has to you know, exactly. enjoy it and embrace it. Now that it. you're 50, I have you to enjoy to it even faster. <laughs> you have to enjoy it faster. <laughs> but Francois, do you? Some people have asked me, you know, did we record those concerts? Yes. Obviously, they recorded for the SABC, but not for sale. But yeah. would you ever consider recording them for commercial release? Well, they were recorded on camera, actually, by very good friends of mine who have a television company, and, and they actually did that as their birthday present. Homebrew is the is the tea, uh, is the company, and we're going to see how they came out. If there's not too many train crashes, then we could perhaps even release it in a DVD format, uh, combined with the sound from the 
people that recorded the sound parts. So it would do that. If there are too many cranks, then one would have to record that. But of course, that is an expensive process nowadays. It is. You've got to get the whole process going again. You've got You've to get got Victor to back. You've got to do that. Because it would have to be with the same team. It would have to be the same team. Especially after what you said about Victor and how well you worked with him. Absolutely. And then you've got to get the whole orchestra together. It becomes, you know, in in this day and age where people don't even really sell CDs, you know, everything's online. It's incredibly expensive to do that. And Francois, you've got seconds left, but um, you're a good chamber musician. We have not spoken about your chamber music. You love chamber music, don't you? Well, I absolutely adore working with other people with music. Rather than the solo recital. The solo stuff, I understand that and I like that. I've never been somebody who feels that it's about me. It's not. It's about the music. And I think the chamber music, the concerto playing, that is for me just as important. And, and, And I'm always very happy to do that and enjoy it so much yeah you stunned us over those two nights francois there you, you are that's my compliment to you because Thank we you have so to stop now we'll have to have people of note with francois de toy part two sometime <laughs> soon but you enjoy your sabbatical and i think you have a bit of a surprise for your last piece of music so you'll have to explain yourself maestro uh yes well you know i as i said people think that i go home and sort of listen to bach and you know beethoven it's not true i actually even have kfm now and then on in the car so <laughs> <laughs> but fmr is predominantly oh, well, <laughs> but I I do have a, 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 a very soft spot for, you know, numbers from the Cole Porters on time, those people. And this particular CD was one that I bought just by chance. It's actually by the pop group Westlife, um, which is a very well-known boy band. And they released a CD and it's called Allow Us To Be Frank. And it's all a retake and of their own interpretations of old Frank Sinatra popular songs and the one that I've chosen, the one that I really like the most out of these, although I like them all actually, is Smile and so I'd like to just play out with that. We'll end with a smile. Francois, thank you for being here. Thank you for letting us in on a lot of secrets about your work and thank you especially for enriching our lives over those two nights at the Cape Town City Hall. Rodney, thank you. That's incredibly sweet of you to say that. Thank you.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Peter Turin and Kickstart present Stephen Sondheim's musical thriller, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. A wickedly funny and decadent evening at the theatre starring Jonathan Rocksmith and Sharon Williams Ross as the legendary barber and his cohort. Only at Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay from the 19th of February. Book now. For the closest shave you will ever know. 